Strategy. Design. Marketing. UX. Digital. Development. This is Agencies That Build, the show dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Casey. I'm a former coder and agency owner. And I'm Maroon, a better coder and an agency partner. Better? <laughs> Probably true. This show is sponsored by Galaxy. On a mission to help agencies grow. And Varun, we're live, dude. This is we a- are live. So the guest today, oh man, I know we've been talking about this for weeks. We, we had to wait. It's one of those things we had to wait to talk. But man, I'm so excited that today is the day. Who are we talking to? An entrepreneur, a strategic thinker. But at the same time, rolls up his sleeves, has the multiple hats on, experiences across multiple areas, design, marketing, product, UX, the usability, the interface design, co-founder and CEO of Diffuser Industries, Jason Williams. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, man. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. Excited to be here. So, so this is part of our, our, our digital leadership series on understanding, talking about building and, and, and how do we really make things happen? So enough of me talking. I need to pass you this thing. Ugh, all right. You got Thank it? You. Here we go. <laughs> oh, heavy, the hammer. You got it? It's Thor's yes, hammer. I'm, I've got it. Oh, backhand. Look at that. You, you tennis? Yeah. That, that's impressive. Racquetball. Ra- oh, racquetball. Got it. Yeah. So take Thor's hammer and smash for some kind of myth bogus strategy misconception just set the record straight once and for all uh independent contractors uh there's this notion that we came across early on in our in the life of diffuser where we thought we had to hide this notion that we decided to build our agency using only contractors uh the reason we did that was because i had been a contractor for a long time and um, found that I could be more successful, if you will, financially. I could be more in control of my destiny if I were a contractor myself uh, versus going W-2. And so uh, having gone through a couple of startups and taken on employees, uh, and sometimes those startups don't work out, and I was left holding the bag, you know, paying taxes for a dozen people and doing things like that. And so I said, I, I vowed that I would never do that again. So next time, everyone's a contractor. And so that's how we got started. And in the beginning, it was, it was kind of a novel approach. People weren't really doing that or it wasn't commonplace and um, building an agency. So agencies, you know, as far back as 10 years ago or as, as recent as 10 years ago, we're still kind of the old mindset. Let's get a bunch of people into a room and we'll work them to the bone. And it's, it's kind of just a factory where we just, you know, grind people down uh, and decided that wasn't the right, right idea. So I started floating the idea with a few uh, people I'd worked with, all senior people. We'd been doing this for a while. Uh, whether they thought it'd be a good idea to start a collective, an agency built of, of independent contractors, people who are strong and smart and sought after with experience who all want to work together and, and then just keep growing and building a business around that. And that's how Diffuser got started. And as I said in the beginning, we tried to hide the fact that, that everyone was an independent contractor. 
And then ultimately we decided to just embrace that model. And that was about two or three years into the start of Diffuser. And um, it was right about that time that, uh, you know, we started to see a lot of remote workers and new, new apps coming out for people who worked remotely and Uber economy and all of those things started to emerge. And so this model started to gain um, traction and we just went for it. We just started telling all of our clients and what we thought was a negative turned into a positive very quickly because what that affords us, this contractor model, and I could go into how we, uh, how we structure it, but it allows us to scale and um, retreat if we need to with the business. We can kind of just go up and down as business goes up and down. And that's proven to be an awesome model. We currently have about maybe a little over a hundred contractors, all seniors, all people who are tested and true uh, in our network. And at any given point, we are 25 to 30 active contractors uh, wow. working on projects. Uh, I think I hired six in the last three weeks uh, to do various projects. And we work with big companies. These aren't like small, you know, bakery, local website design kind of projects. These are with some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, Got it. Yep. Man, that sounds like a really efficient model. I, and I got it. You're smashing a myth, right? Because the, mis, the misconception is the fact that, you know, other agency owners and certainly the clients and customers, you know, we, we would just assume they would have a problem with it, but it sounds like they did. It sounds like they've accepted it. Why do you still propose people? Is it just in our own minds or, or do people actually have a problem until we explain? Uh, I think there's this notion of security and commitment. Even when we go and find people who are in jobs, W2 jobs, there's this, this, I believe it's a false sense of security and, um, you know, commitment that you get from a company it may not be false. It may be true to a lot of people. I never, it never resonated with me personally, but um, the truth is the people that work with us, I said, I'd go into the model a little bit. We have members in our company or in our agency, and then we have core collaborators and then we have specialists. And that's kind of the level of commitment as we go. Those members have been here three plus years, some people five years, Diffuser's been around seven and a half, maybe almost eight years. Uh, those tend to be the members that stick all the way through. They have ownership wow. in the agency. And then we have core contributors. We call them collaborators, actually. Uh, and they are anywhere from a year to three years in with us and committed just as, as with any other company, uh, W-2 kind of a gig. But what's different about us is we also offer people, uh, because of you know various constraints around the definition of a contractor versus an employee, there are uh, various things that we do to help people along that journey to get you know, from W-2 to independent contractor, including um, we grant them time with our accountant, time with our attorneys to make sure they get set up properly, make sure they're asking the right questions, paying their taxes on time and doing all those kinds of things. So we're very much proponents of this model and, you know, you know, if I zoom out a little bit, 
um, to what it means to me personally, uh, it's really about abundance. And I, yeah. I feel that abundance in my own life, and I feel it's my responsibility to share it with as many people as I can. And this is a way yeah. to do that. Great. I, I have a follow-up question on that. So um, I have talked to plenty of agencies and, you know, and this, this notion of working with contractors, it, it, you know, it has its pros and cons. Most of the arguments that I have heard from other agency owners is they want a close tight-knit team, uh, mostly because they want to build a culture. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have these independent contractors, freelancers who are working remotely all over the world, it's they find it hard in, to, well, in their, the way they are saying it, that they find it hard to establish the culture. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what unites them. That's what makes them different than other companies. So did you find any challenge with that at all? Or if at all, like how did you, you know, that, work on that's that? A, that's a great Great question. The culture is the collective and the dispersed and distributed, excuse me, distributed network. That is the culture. Do what you say you're going to do, do it on time. You know, all, all of the things you kind of learned in kindergarten and practice as an adult, um, people, people gravitate toward that and thrive in that environment. And so we find that there's no problem creating the culture. The culture creates itself and it actually self-corrects itself. Um, you know, sometimes we'll get a contractor in who may not have the skills they told us they had immediately. It almost immediately gets rejected out of the system because it's back to what I said, it's all about doing what you say you're gonna do, do it on time, etc. Show up for meetings, communicate. Uh, you give people a long rope and, you know, you, they use it. And in most cases, uh, I would say 99% of all cases, they're the people we work with want to continue working with us because they love the culture. They love the way we work. They love the collaboration. They love the projects we get. So to answer the question, no. It was a little bit risky in, in the beginning um, for that specific reason. But what we found is that the, you know, our approach is um, culture within itself. It, it kind of breeds itself out of it. It's interesting. Instead of being the opposite in the culture, it almost sounds like this may be even more efficient. I wonder if sometimes when you have the full-time employees, um, people are more hesitant to you know, throw someone else under the bus or self-report that, man, this guy's really a drag on the whole system. They're like the one point of failure and you don't really want to throw them out because they'll lose their full-time job. But maybe like you're saying, the self-corrects, not just the culture, but on the, the performance, the production side as well. Absolutely. So I imagine we're all familiar with the agile model. So right. I come from software. Most of us come from technology. Uh, everything we do is agile. So we've applied agile methodology to virtually everything, design, marketing, um, obviously software, et cetera. And, uh, you know, baked within that methodology is this notion of velocity and team communication and standups and, and all of that. So it's, it's um, kind of a source of truth. The, the process we follow kind of keeps everything corrected and on track as we go. So, uh, yeah. 
Tell me about the tiers. Of, you it, and it sounds cool. It's like you you found a way that they can be contractors, but you can still care about them. You know, like it's important. Oh, yeah. Best companies care about their people, and you're right. They lose some of those benefits if they're contractors, but they could gain things as well. And you have these. So you mentioned you have different tiers. Is is this a way mm-hmm. to inspire them, but also to take care of the best ones? Tell me more about that. It's it's to incentivize people, uh, people who have shown commitment to Diffuser, and then okay. also people we'd like to bring along through. Um, so there are a handful of members. Those members uh, participate in the ownership of the company. Uh, and that's granted based on a number of things. They tend to be heads of practices. We have four core practices, strategy, content, technology, uh, and design. Um, and then production kind of sits around all of that. So each of those practices has a, a head person. And those tend to be the members that sit around the table and make the decisions about the collective. And then core collaborators are kind of the next tier, uh, primarily leads and managers, um, people we need to, uh, you know, spread the word and keep the keep the train on the tracks, wheels on yeah. the bus. And then we have specialists beyond that. And those are tend to be people, hired guns, if you will, people we bring in to do very specific things like you know, a UX strategist for this particular project. They come in for a couple of months and then they go away. We might work with them again in six months from now. Uh, but uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, that yeah that, that, that's cool. How, how did you develop this? Is this trial and error or was it like a, you, you, you slip, you hit on, you slip on the toilet and you designed a flux capacitor and this uh-huh. tractor success model at the same time? It's a little bit of both. Um, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, having been a contractor most of my career, I learned what worked and what didn't and what made clients happy and what it took for me to bring in subcontractors. And then we got together and uh, we started to evolve that model and improve some things out. Uh, we like to, we use a subscription model. So we oh, like cool. to pay people. So I don't know if you, I'm sure you're familiar with internet service, right? You've you go in, you buy internet service for a period of time, you buy dial up or all the way up to fiber. And so that's a level of service for a period of time. And you buy a certain capacity of that service, right? So when we engage our clients, we sell subscriptions and just along those lines that I said, time, level of service, capacity, we do the same thing with our collaborators. So. You know, we don't we don't really talk hours with many people. It's usually how much um, will it cost us to get this much capacity from you over this period of time, and that tends to open up an entirely different conversation. Then it's not like, bill, 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 record, record, record. It's I'm going to make a commitment to get something done in this period of time. I'm going to give this much time to the collaboration, and I'll get paid accordingly. And I generally believe um, very strongly in paying people what they tell me they're worth. And, you know, if it fits in with our business, then everything's good. Everybody's happy. So everybody's happy if you get the work, right? So how, how do you go about selling this concept, this model of, you know, independent contractors and the way you work to the prospect customers and clients? I mean, they 
it must be different from the traditional agency model that is. In, in the you know in the industry. So it's infinitely scalable. We call it the elastic capacity model. So our clients. Uh, so when you say sell, I'm thinking more on the client side and the way we sell it to our clients. Most of our clients don't really care how we get the work done. They, they know the core team and know that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Uh, you know, I said that that's what we expect from contractors. It goes all the way up through to the entire company. It's uh, when you work with Diffuser, you get a certain level of service, expertise, commitment, collaboration, etc. cetera. Uh, so up to this day, first seven and a half, maybe eight years, all of our business comes through uh, recommendations, uh, referrals from you know people we've worked with in the past, all of our relationships with our clients. I think the smallest one or the, the youngest one is about three years old. Uh, a couple of our clients are seven years, six years, five years, all in there. So these are long-term relationships that we build with people. I don't want to say it's just like internet service, but it is, hey, client, you come to us with a need. It tends to be a big strategic product development or uh, strategy project where we have to you know, help a company build a new insights and analytics platform um, on top of a data store that's been there. They've been collecting data for 30 years. And what does it look like to take that to market? How do we turn it into a product? How do we build strategy around that? How do we build thought leadership and engagement? Yeah. And so we say, okay, this is where we'd like to go. Just like Agile, you'll say, hey, we want to get to MVP and we're going to have three releases and within each release, we're going to have N number of sprints and that's kind of the engagement. You're going to sign us up for a period of time at a level of service and capacity and we just kind of do a monthly rate all the way through and then we figure out how to turn that to our uh, collaborator network and make sure that our cogs are matched up with our uh, revenue to maximize the margin. When you look at our numbers, uh, because of the way we're set up, our margin is 10 to 30% higher than um, cohorts or other people, other agencies in our space. So we do well. It's all about managing margin, money in, money out. If you're not making money, you're not in business. Got it. Sounds like that really, that builds trust with prospects, builds trust with the contractors. Yep. It builds that. And it's, it's also like dial tone. We, we used to sell it as dial tone. Um, you pay, you know, in the old, old language, people called it retainer. Uh, and that yeah. became a bad word, as did the word agency for a long time. And so we decided, oh, well, we're just not going to do that. We're going to change the way it works. And why don't we use something that people get? And now you see subscription everywhere. But, you yeah. know, early on, it was it was somewhat unusual. And you know, new for an agency to sell subscriptions. Do you, do you find, you know, when people are, they're freelancers, they're contractors, there's less commitment from them? Or is that, is that a myth too? That I think that's a myth. It depends. They got, they got the reputation, whether it's, you know, for full time or. hundred percent. The people okay. we work with are rock stars. It's yeah. like, there are no juniors. This isn't a place you go to learn how to play the game. These are people um, used to performing at a certain level. Uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy, like maybe, you know, they're like 
free agents in the NFL or something like that. They can Good go call, where they, right? They can go wherever they want to go, and yeah. they're going to go where they get the best deals, right? And yeah. how they play in one team, you know, they're always you see that like on the in the shows how they like coaches like we're letting you go today. They're not like screw you, you know. Yeah. They're like they're like thanks for the opportunity, coach. I appreciate it. Funny, you know? funny you say that. I early on in my career, I got laid off uh, from a job, and I started laughing, stood up, and high fived my boss when he said we're gonna have to let you go. And I just went out after that and just started <laughs> contracting right up. How did how did that was that was how did he receive that or she how did how did he that thought go? it was cool because he knew me I'm a I'm oh okay it was a good one it was like oh, it was yeah like, okay, we're, we're cool yeah you know we talk about the independent network it's an independent uh, way of looking at things as well it's all about independence in fact we and Varun is uh, and his team are helping us build a product to manage our business. And we talk about money in, money out, and margin, cool. uh, and then resources and allocation. And that product is called independence. So when I say independence, it really runs in our DNA. It's all about independent contracting. Oh, that's cool. So you, um, you've taken a step further and you're actually making it. You're, you're we're productizing it. Productizing it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is what we do for our clients. What do you have there, Varun? No, uh, I wanted to go back to that subscription model that you mentioned, right? Um, one, again, another challenge that we 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 hear in the industry is um, doing an agile process is great, but then it it works after the contract has been signed, right? Um, but what happens before that when you have to do some discovery? So people usually find it hard to self-discovery. Have you had such problems with you? Like, you know, because, you know, you, the way you are selling it is like, you would go and here are the resources. We are the team we will do. So you'll pay us for helping or helping you understand your problem, yep. right? So mm -hmm. not easy to sell to the client all the time. Um, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's a great question. We deal with that in a couple of ways. Yes, discovery also is a four-letter word, uh, just as agency uh, and retainer are or were. Uh, discovery, a lot of companies don't want to pay for that. Sometimes we'll frame it as a pilot. So we'll go in and we'll pilot a project with you. Part of that pilot will be coming to understand, getting up to speed with your business and you know, helping you devise strategy. Um, so that's, that's one scenario. Another scenario, we have a success model and that success model really informs virtually everything we do and, and what it amounts to is a strategy. And we, in, in defining uh, or populating that success model, we define ambition or we, you know, communicate with our clients to define ambition, audience, activities, and then assessment, how do we measure success? And so what you're calling discovery is essentially um, strategy. And strategy uh, to us means defining how we succeed. What are the KPIs you track? And those KPIs become our, our, our KPIs, our success metrics. And then from there, um, we just you know start the machine and the machine goes. So we go from strategy into tactics and that's implementation. Another way uh, we look at it is, hey, we've worked with you in the past. 
um, you kind of already understand our model, turn us on and we will come up to speed as fast as we can. And sometimes that looks like a sprint zero, you know, like sprint zero is gonna have a defined period of time. And these are the types of things we're going to do. We're gonna set up the tooling, understand the problem, do some competitive research, et cetera, just get ourselves ready to go. And the conversation we have is dependent on the client and who they are and how they feel and the way they think about it. And the context with, you know, the company they work for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. All right. Uh, it's time to enter our roll up the sleeve section. Unfortunately, I have short sleeve shirt on. So I, I guess I can like do one of those, like, I don't know. What, what do they call that when you roll up your short sleeve? Like a, <laughs> I don't know. Or, roll in the mountains. None of us are from California. Like <laughs> yeah. we don't even know. I don't um, know. Time to roll up our sleeves. And it, it's really, I wanted to want to get like a, maybe a best practice um, from the design phase, the build phase, the deploy phase. What, what's your take? What's the critical part? I, I know you've just even mentioned the KPIs. When it comes uh -huh. to design, before you even put hammer to nail, uh, what, what's, what's, in critical, what's critical? Uh, well, it's certainly that discovery. Even if we call it by another name, it's listening. Like collaboration only listening. works when you're listening. So if there's one thing, it's listen. You know, stop talking. They hired you. You might be the best agency. You might be the smartest guy in the room, but it doesn't matter. Like sit down and listen because you're always going to learn something. Why do, why do we all have so many problems with that? You know, are we just not trained to listen or I think we're not trained to listen. Is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's important. And, and that is core to everything we do here. It's like, you can't have collaboration if you're not listening. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like clients, when they, they buy, when they feel heard too, you yeah, know, like the, the, the used car salesman talking that back at you, this, mm -hmm. this thing, this is what we do. This is all about us. And you leave there. Like, did you even, do you even know what the project is? How are you going to scope this? I like right, talked right. for like four seconds. You talked for like 30. Yeah. Uh, Where's the discovery there? But on the opposite side, if people feel really, man, they kept asking me questions and these questions challenge me. Maybe I don't even know the answers to some of these questions. Mm -hmm. They feel like you're asking the right stuff. They feel trust. Yeah. And it's interesting what you just said. It triggered a thought in my mind. The client knows the problem and what they need. Maybe not what they need, but you know how to do it. You were brought in to, to help them realize the vision, but they already have most of the domain expertise and you cannot solve the problem unless you get the transfer, right? And yeah. go back and forth and help them. It's like an architect with a house. You can't build a house for a family if you don't know what the, how the family lives or what they're after. Right. You find out they've got eight teenage girls there. They need that's right. Need space for phone calls. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, okay. So that's design. How about the build phase? What's important when it comes time to build? Uh, when it's time to build, um, iterate early and often. This is what we heard you say. Is this what you said? This is what we heard you say. Is this what you said? And just keep going and going and going until you get it exactly right, until everyone's nodding. So you, not nodding off, but nodding yes. Right. <laughs> uh, now, what, what were those two questions? You, you asked those rapid fire. This is what we heard you say, and this is what you said. Was that what you said? Uh, this is what we heard you say. Is this what you said? Yes. And so that's just constant validation. Everything we do is about, um, you know, as I've said all along, collaboration, listening, 
responding and going back and forth. Like just as we're doing now, when I look at you guys for cues and you look at me, is he done talk? Like we adjust yeah. to that. And that's the agile process. We adapt and we adjust as we go. We always have a goal in mind. Let's get through a podcast or do something like that, but we'll, we'll, we'll find our way there. We don't really know how we're going to get to here, right. but we know we're going to get there. So let's just figure it out as we go. Yeah. You fill the room with the smartest people and then they, yeah. they help you get there. Yeah. That's right. That's why they brought you in the first place. That's right. Exactly. How about, how about working offshore? We talked about the contractor model. How, how ah. does offshore fit into, into it's, the build phase? And then it, does it have that same, myth around people don't like contractors people don't like offshore or have you found that not to be the case um offshore near shore onshore mm-hmm. um in my mind the the boundaries between those are are becoming Ill, irrelevant it's right. whoever is the best person or best group to get the job done for instance uh as i mentioned we've worked with Faroon, so he's a team or they have a team that we work with. They are obviously, I don't know if it's obvious, but I'm in Boulder and they're in India. So that's offshore to me. Uh, and again, it's contextual. Offshore here might be you know, different to someone else in Europe. And sometimes we work with groups in Europe and we're offshore. So it becomes irrelevant where people are. I've, I'm hiring for a project I have that's a global uh, project, the best people I can find. And I happen to be finding those people, uh, living in Bali, Mallorca, Germany. Um, uh, we have people in Vancouver and they're virtually all over the world. And so the problem or the issue, the challenge becomes, um, time zones. And, you know, there are ways around that. Um, but to answer your question directly, I don't think it matters anymore. I mean, it's there and it depends on who you're talking to and with, but it's, we can get around all of that. It doesn't really matter. We're always looking for the best people to get the job done. And as I said, but, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll go and find them. My question would be how, like, you know, this is the million dollar question everyone wants to know, like, how do you find the best people, right? So it's all is there anything, Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Is, is there, is there any, um, sure. One, one is, uh, one way to go through references and people that, you know, but at the end of the day, you do want to make sure that the team that you booked, that, uh, the, the contractor that you picked, who is like thousands miles away is mm-hmm. the right one. So do you, um, is there a process? Is there as, you know, any, any, any anything different that you do to make sure that whoever you are picking up is not putting your company, your brand, in 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 you know in a difficult position in front of your client because mm-hmm. you are the face. You the client is trusting you, and mm-hmm. if you subcontract, you know it. Yep. You know it, it's a it's important, right? That we mm-hmm. do to find the right resource. Uh, yes, that's true. And that's a great question. So most of, most of the communication we have with our clients is through producers and producers are a little bit account management, a little bit project management, and they kind of 
oversee most things. They field all the questions. They field everything that comes in. They're part product owner as well. So when we go out and we find, you know, the best of the best, we have a we have a very strong network. I've been doing this 25 plus years. Uh, and then, you know, I've made a lot of friends along the way. Don't burn any bridges, you know, do what you say you're going to do all those things, those truths that we stated earlier. Uh, so the vetting kind of comes collaboratively through this network of people. There's no one that we work with who hasn't worked with someone else in our group before. So and it's either either directly, it's almost like LinkedIn with their six degrees of separation. We right. never go, we never go more than two deep, you know? Like it's usually a primary person who's worked with someone we've worked with or I've worked with or anyone in our network. And and just the act of working with those people expands the network even further every time we bring somebody in. Or it could be something like, you know, someone like Sarah who just walked by me. Um, introduces us to someone, one of her colleagues introduced or brought in in the past. And then we do a little bit of, of kind of background checking, if you will. And sometimes we will do background checks as well. Right. But in terms of commitment and um, level of proficiency and quality and all of those things, it's usually vetted before we even get to talking to those people. And it, it's, it's very much a network effect. Yeah, shout out to Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. She just went back. <laughs> Did you see her come out and then go? Yeah. Oh, okay. Part of the show now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how about on the deploy? How about, you know, we're calling it a deploy, but the idea the build is complete. You know, maybe we've even got sign off or not from the from the customer, but it's that almost like that, that post care, that phase that comes after the initial deployment. So we're just getting started at yeah. deployment. You know, we talked about yeah. um, a blend of digital marketing and digital product. So what we do is we help big companies build products, technology products, uh, because we're software people. Then we help bring them to market, sell them, and then build community around them. So getting the product out there is, is almost the, the f f end of the first phase and then it, then we pick up the marketing and thought leadership and all the things around that and DevOps, uh, not DevOps, but docs and developer relations and, and all of those things, because primarily we fit in this space of um, API uh, technology, high tech, if you yeah. will. And so the products we sell have two primary um, groups or personas that engage with them and they tend to be high level business people who are, you know, devising strategies, writing checks, and then they have their influencers who tend to be the developers who implement technologies, mm -hmm. and integrate with partners and do those kinds of things. So yeah, we're very much at the beginning uh, once we get the product out there. How about, what percent would you say is done when you, when you get, when you get the product out there? Well, the product's never done. Um, Good call. I don't know. That's hard. That's hard to gauge. Uh, it depends on on, you know, whether it's a new novel product, whether it's a product we're helping to you know mature or mm -hmm. evolve. And so, in terms of process, when we when we have the luxury of being part of the entire process from 
build through engagement. Uh, I mean, just, just based on that model, we're probably 30% of the way through, but the product itself, it varies. You know, it, as I said, it's never done, but you don't really know, you know, if it's a new product, you might be just at the very, very beginning. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, if you're, yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting you bring that up because I will, I will confess sometimes I am just a caveman and I, for, and uh -huh. I forget things too, but even I said, like when the product is done, it, you're right. It never, it never is done. Do you have to, do you have to sort of um, teach and educate the business users to that degree? Because I'm sure they're like, well, I'm going to pay X amount and it's all golden. Right. And you're like, well, yeah. we're actually going to evolve and we got to stay with it. And, and it, it, Our, it's a longer relationship, I think, than maybe people give it credit. That's right. So our, our rough heuristic, our rule of thumb is MVP or product release or whatever it is, depending on the maturity of the product, is roughly 80% of the thing. And then the next 10% is user feedback out in the wild. Uh, the next 5% is really difficult to achieve and we'll get there eventually, but we need to get the feedback. We need to adjust and adapt. And the final 5% is elusive and I don't think you'll ever get there. And, you know, take it or leave it, whether you agree with that, but um, that's been my experience and that's kind of what we see over and over again. Wow. So you said the product is never done and your firm, your agency specialized in the product development for larger companies. Mm -hmm. So um, does that mean that once you are in the door, you are always in the door or will there be a time when the team, when the company, well, you have built product, brought them to a certain stage and now all they need to do is just continue the maintenance support or just, you know, a few yep. things here and there. How That's do a you, question. yeah, how do you, you know, transition from there yep. to the next? Yeah, so as a service provider, um, I mentioned earlier that our relationships are longstanding with our clients, but our model is not to, you know, get involved in a product or project and to always be involved in that project. We, our goal, our, our, directive is to build product that we can hand over and then move on to the next project. So while yes, it's true, we would like to be at our clients and our customers forever and keep those relationships going. We are not the people to stay and maintain or our model isn't to make ourselves you know, indispensable, the only people who can maintain that product. Our, our goal is to bring it to a point of maintainability, to bring it to a level of maintainability and maturity where we can hand it off and transfer it to an internal team and they can take it over. And then maybe we'll work on the next phase. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll work with a different group in, inside the same company. Yeah. Yeah. But I know there's some, uh, I don't know if this is true. I imagine there are some people, some agencies out there that that's part of their model. Like, oh, we'll develop this product and we'll be in there forever maintaining that product. That's just not what we do. Yeah. Um, and, and being a technology shop, I mean, uh, staying ahead of the technology um, in the industry is one thing that, that, you know, you would want to do. So do you, how do you 
uh, find the balance between uh, picking the latest, greatest, or you know, the finest technology out there um, because that requires education, that requires learning. At mm-hmm. the same time, your team, you know, they are familiar with something. Now there is new thing coming up. Uh, how right. do you manage that with the group that you have? We we are um, always pushing the boundary. Uh, I won't say we're bleeding edge because many times that doesn't serve our customers uh, because it's you know novel approaches that are undocumented. I mentioned that you know it's about maintainability and transfer for us. A novel approach that doesn't have a community or documentation built around it is not necessarily valuable to our client because then they'll get that and they they won't have anybody who knows how to do anything with it and there's can't hire other developers to take care of it so while we push we push the boundary and leverage the latest and the greatest we are not um, forcing a technology stack on our clients we listen to the clients many of them have their own engineering teams and we tend to sit uh, on the front end mostly um, and consume APIs. So we're pushing front ends that are tend to be, or even stacks that tend to be proven, uh, well-documented. They may be the latest and greatest, but they're not, uh, they're enterprise ready. They're not like bleeding edge out there, but yes, we're always pushing it forward. We rarely, if ever support um, latest browser minus one, uh, latest OSs, et cetera. Most of the things we do are very forward thinking, the projects we work on for our clients. And that's just kind of the way it is. That's the way we, we roll it out. So t- tactical question on that is like, how, like, is there a, because that's the question that many people ask, like how do you make sure that you are staying ahead of the curve, right? How are you, like, do you allocate certain hours in the week for your, for, for learning? Or like, is it like beyond 40 hours, they have to put in extra hours to do that on their own to stay mm-hmm. ahead? Like, how, how do you maintain that? Uh, it's usually on our dime and people are learning either on a project that we have to pick up for a client because they brought us a stack that is new and different Um, We work with a lot of uh, very large technology companies. Some of those are social media companies. And so they're, they're kind of pushing that we use the latest greatest. So we're kind of learning as we go as part of the project, but it's not like you're paying us for education. We're bringing the same skills from maybe just a previous release of something or adapting something that's new and novel but it really is just solving a problem that you know existed before, and now it's a package or a library or something like that. Like we're not out there, you know, devising like you know new new languages for VR or anything like that. We tend to be very <laughs> practical and product focused. So these, you know, what I mean. Right. Does that answer your question or no? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a dating language for AI. <laughs> right. Exactly. But like on that note, you know, where, where do you see the future going? All the things happening, all the different, cra- any opportunities coming around the bend we should keep our eyes open for? Um, so business opportunities or technology? T- tech, tech, business, whatever. I know you've talked about APIs in the past. I, 
you know, yeah. API economy. I don't know if there's a something around that. Yeah. So there's this notion of the API economy, right? We, we believe that uh, the world will be connected through um, essentially APIs, technology. And, you know, much like the internet connected people through web browsers, now the next, the next rev of that, in my mind, is this interconnected network of all these businesses who provide services that we mentioned the Uber model early on. So Uber was built um, leveraging services built by other companies and they brought them together and they created this thing called Uber. But behind Uber is, is, are a bunch of services served through APIs and that's, that model is expanding and you know, virtually every company in the world uh, will need to connect or, and or expose services and data through APIs at some point to, to remain relevant. I don't know when that tipping point will be or that critical mass, but there's this thing that's happening and we um, are at the front of that wave. That's where we live. We um, see the opportunity in the API economy. And I believe there's a gap somewhere between um, the technology and technology adoption. And just because you build it doesn't mean people want to use it. And we fit right in that gap. We help mm. build and then we help bridge the gap to get the audience to come in and use the stuff. That, that's what I've talked about a little bit earlier on the call and that's yeah. essentially it. That's the opportunity we seek. You know, it's like data has yeah. value if you use it and it has exponential value if it's combined with other data to, form a, a full picture. I mean, sometimes on the marketing sales side, it's that 360 degree view of the customer, you know, what right. they buy now, what are they going to buy in the future? But there's so much more to their digital footprint. I, I can only imagine how you're right. The API economy, it, it's like, it's, it's almost in a way, the fact that internet was the table stakes. Now it's like the connectivity becomes that next That's frontier. Right. That's right. And we're uniquely positioned uh, in that space to capitalize on the gap because as I said, we are technologists and software people. We understand the technology we're exposing and the products we're building. And then on the other side, we are the developers. We are the people who uh, are consuming the products. So we can you know, have one foot on both sides of the fence there. And right. in, the, in the middle is, is essentially effectively table stakes. It's bringing stuff to market and selling and you know, that, Every digital marketing agency out there can do that, but that's what sets us apart. On API, just quick note. On API, I mean, you're right. That is the next thing. I was also reading um, or listening on one of the podcasts about how developers uh, or software development is going to be obsolete. Like, you know, in, in coming years, how automation with machine learning and AI is basically taking the jobs of developers. It, it is true to an extent, but uh, we, we feel like we, we, uh, we still feel that uh, developers are not going to go away. They, they'll still need people who can build up models. You know, even for the machine learning to work, you need people to build the models, right? So on that note, um, there has been series of automation that has happened in the programming world. One, it started with the you know smart IDE like interface uh, where you can write write the 
program and it autofills and make the work faster. Then it came the, the you know, low code platforms and next would be the API and the APIs also how you can automate the integration of APIs is the next challenge that they are working on. Mm -hmm. So things are changing. These, these are the things that you want to stay ahead of. These are the things that I, you know, I talk about, like when you want to stay ahead, like what would be the next thing? This is mm -hmm. what excites me to how uh, to work through that API economy that you spoke about, like mm -hmm. how does the automation work in that field? Yeah, so, I agree. And the one thing you just summed it up, it's all about automation. Like when, when we're looking at, at generating models and like automating code and things like that, it, that's automating things that we would like menial tasks, if you will, that we would normally do. I'm, I'm of the mind that technology is always an approximation, is always catching up to consciousness. So, so if we think it, uh, we can create it, we can automate it, but we can't do that until we're able to think it. And I really don't think, I'm not of the mind that AI is gonna come and take over the world. I think our consciousness is going to put a boundary around that. Yeah, it's getting sure. a little philosophical, but you know. You know, it's it's that time of day, you know, yeah, the show where we break out the, what would it be, scotch? I don't know, bro. What what is it? What What's the official drink of the uh, <laughs> the agencies that build podcasts? Bourbon. Bourbon? Yeah, there what you is go. It, bourbon, Jason? Is that in their vote for sure. bourbon? Sure. Sure. Let's make it bourbon. Right. I'm drinking mineral water at the moment. Yeah? Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got some Gatorade Zero here. Mm -hmm. Also got this beer here that uh somebody left on my dashboard and at the oh boy when we went hiking yeah like a, hello i see you i'm like oh, <laughs> no i see you too um yeah. well man this is I, you're right we get philosophical tactical uh, the gambit i'm in the introduction i mentioned strategic i mentioned tactical i feel like we've covered all these things i'm really curious man who are you <laughs> right yeah it's like, take me back in time little jason days where'd you grow up what was it like did you always know you're gonna be building things uh, I grew up in New Hampshire, uh, born in Massachusetts, grew up in New Hampshire, South Central New Hampshire. My dad was Whereabouts? Uh, Merrimack, New Hampshire. Right on. Cause I'm, I'm Nashua. So oh, New Hampshire. that's right. Cool. So you're probably aware of this. I'm thinking back. I can't, my memory doesn't go that far back when I was King young. <laughs> and it, yeah, I know King Cone. You know King my, Cone? Yeah. I used to go to King Cone every day after school. The lobster boat. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Uh, I would get tacos too. Uh, so that in New Hampshire, Merrimack, New Hampshire, specifically Digital Equipment Corporation mm. had one of their main campuses in Merrimack. My dad was one of the early engineers there. He used to come home, you know, with the, with the punch cards and the... Wow. Uh, print out my name it's like on on dot matrix printers it's like the j's made out of j's the a is made out of a's s-o-n it's pretty cool it was funny back then so he's uh, an og coder right he oh he, yeah he punch old, cards and everything that's that's legit yeah never use that yep so we wow. um i guess i come by it honestly so i wasn't interested in computers at all uh growing up possibly because my dad always had them in our house and all that kind of stuff. But um, got to playing in a band, went to UNH, played in the band at UNH, left UNH, played in the band for a little bit. Uh, 
found myself in Austin, Texas, got involved in a macrobiotic restaurant slash community, met my wife there. I was like, what am I going to do now? Uh, went to audio engineering school, conservatory of recording arts and science in Arizona. And then kind of parlayed that in, I thought I was going to work in studios because I wanted to stay in music and all that. But um, that was the early days of Pro Tools. So I learned to use, and all the way through college, actually, I was, I was going to the computer lab and doing all my papers. And there weren't a lot of people doing that back then. They were typing them, but I would do that. I guess I'm showing my age, but it doesn't matter. Um, so I got on, onto the Mac and we were using Pro Tools and I just found that I had a knack for getting around. And yeah. so as an audio engineer, you listen through the speakers and you're thinking about the end users and you're thinking how they'll listen to it and what devices they're on. And it was very easy for me to make the leap over to um, computers. And back then it was like, you know, .NET didn't even exist. It was like ASP 1.0. Cold Fusion was a big thing at Cold that time. Fusion, yeah. yeah. I went to work for Windows NT Magazine in Loveland, uh, Colorado here. And I ran the CD sampler program. And so every month you'd get your Windows NT Magazine, if you remember Windows NT. And um, in it, maybe once a quarter, I think it might have been, you would get a CD and that CD had tried before you buy software. And I would work with all the big vendors, the big enterprise clients uh, to get their software samples. And I built user interface with um, director, excuse me, Macromedia back then, director, and put it on these CDs and it would go out there and people would install them. And that was cool. And that was the beginning of my programming is uh, in director and then I would build a website using cold fusion to gather all the stuff and put it into my interface and then immediately I was there for a year and a half maybe uh, got into contracting went over to what was then US West helped them build um, a bunch of tools inside internally and then I just kept contracting from there, took a couple of jobs here and there. Uh, the longest job I took was at a company called Leopard. Uh, it was an agency here in Boulder, got bought by Ogilvy, which is a WPP agency. And um, there I ran um, under the CTO, I was technology uh, product. What was I? Technical product manager. And so I did, did a bunch of um, engagements. I continued programming, helped build some software that they then sold off to IBM uh, and then went back to contracting and just kind of kept going that kept way. Kept that process going, yeah. Yeah. Started Diffuser seven or eight years ago. And, and, now, and that was that thing you were saying earlier where you had done that because they like, all right, you're done. And you're like, high five. I'm yes. out. Yeah, it's it was that leopard. Leopard was the this. place. Yes, exactly. Yes. And as it turns out, uh, one of my partners here, uh, one of the members I mentioned earlier, um, Lisa Haldeman, actually became CEO of Leopard shortly after I left. And we were friends there. She works with us here now. Oh, nice. Yep. Nice. And and so, again, that, that bench, it all comes around. It all comes you know, around. The reputation, really the... And I yeah. wonder if you even train the, or 
do people just know because it's almost like one of those things where you'd want to let contractors know like hey this yeah. matters in case you're a junior person right. here like absolutely we're connected <laughs> it's definitely. a small universe definitely yeah we even talk about you know kind of a collective mind if you will the more we give to this thing the more everyone gets out of it and so let's just keep doing it and it seems to work and it also you also answered one of the question i had like you know when we think about agencies first thing that comes to mind is creative and marketing mm -hmm. usually the digital product development agencies you know there are not many i mean there are few but usually doesn't come that way i mean you are in this field because it looks like you started with cold fusion you started building products from from beginning in the career most right. of the agency owners that you know uh, who are in design they mm -hmm. start as a web designer they start That's building right. websites and doing marketing but now like you know this you know makes sense that you started building products from from very beginning Absolutely. That's, That's exactly right. Yep. I always, I always imagine myself, even as a musician and a um, audio engineer, I'm, I'm, you know what a transducer is? It's basically a microphone. You're talking into one right now. It takes energy from one form and turns it into another. And that, in the case of audio, the product is, is the record or the CD. And it's the same idea here. You asked about how we work with clients and discovery. We take their thoughts and we turn them into products we make things out of them yeah so they're, you know it's like a cobbler with shoes or you know whatever it might be the app cobbler yeah exactly <laughs> it's the next company name next company name but we, got, we got plenty of episode names for this one so don't worry <laughs> yeah. that won't make, won't make the cut we got, okay. we got some good stuff um okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um bit of a hypothetical for you so yeah. you're familiar with nashville new hampshire that's mm -hmm. where i'm at in my backyard, I may or may not have a time machine and it's covered with a tarp. Squirrels are running all over. You know how it gets crazy. So um, post-COVID, you get the chance to use this time machine, go back in time, but it goes to a specific time. This is right after undergrad. This is right when you're kind of launching that career, figuring yourself out. You get to go talk to you back then. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you give yourself? What kind of things would you tell yourself to do more, more of, less of, that kind of thing? So one thing, get into the internet now, get into computer science now. It took me a while. It wasn't until 27, the age of 27, that it, it clicked with me. Really? Um, so I had five or six years in there where I was, I had a good time. And, you know, I met some good people. I met my wife in there. Uh, That's worth it then, I guess, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I could have gotten started earlier. I remember yeah. telling her, actually, when I was driving down the road here in Boulder one day, um, I wish I had studied computer science. And then, you know, right after that, things just started kind of going in the right direction. I got my job at Windows NT Magazine and that whole story I just told you kind of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's crazy, too, because like I studied computer science, but I got into marketing. So, I mean, yeah. who, who knows? It's funny. I studied marketing. Got into computer right, right, right. You know, and. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy how the mm -hmm. life goes. Um, I guess, I guess sometimes the follow-up question to that is what would you want to be known, known for or mm. known as legacy wise? Hmm. Known for known as seem like different questions to me. Uh, and that's fair. You, you can, you can do that. Uh, I suppose I'd want to be known for 
uh, generosity and, and helping people uh, find a new way of working and living and, you know, being themselves and being confident and independent. That would be one thing. Yeah. Uh, known as maybe the guy who did something that changed the world in some way, in a positive way. Yeah. Changing the world. Yeah. 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 Are you able to, I mean, sometimes it can be challenging, you know, when we're building some app, you know, for the energy industry or some, I mean, how, how do you tie in the work you do to, cause it, it sounds like you have that same kind of thing where you want to, you want to move the, the world forward. How do mm-hmm. you, you know, tie your work into that? I think it's got a lot to do with the way we treat people. Uh, it's the reason our clients want to work with us. It's the reason every collaborator we've ever worked with wants to continue working with us. It's, it's the way you treat people. It's the way you express yourself. I mean, doing the work, like you've probably heard that before. Anybody can do the work, but do I like working with you? That that's part of the deal, right? It's like, yeah, you have to want to work with the people you're working with and to have that impact on people, I think is deep. Like it's, it's obviously if we're creating cool products that that you know reduce carbon emissions and i have not had the opportunity to do something cool like that but um not everyone can so what can you do well you can have a positive effect around with the people you work with yeah that's powerful it's powerful in sometimes in when i'm with like our marketing clients it's like i don't really care about your sprocket you know like you sell widget cool and yep. maybe it's a cool widget, but sometimes they're not cool widgets, but right. the person at that company mm-hmm. has a career, has a family, probably has right. dreams and goals. And if we can help them move one step forward. Yeah. It is all about yep. the people in the end, you know, really which is, is how we started this whole conversation. That's a different take on marketing too. That's kind of what we practice is you look at these people, you create these personas, you look at the jobs they need to get done and they're very they're very one-dimensional. They're all about about work and what they do in their job life. But what we find is that those same people exist as parents, as you know, sons and daughters, as community members, and all these things. So we we try to engage them in those ways, not just the the typical "Hey, let's spray and pray and get two percent response." We're going to go direct and and figure out how to actually work with these people and humanize. Yeah excuse me, humanize the interaction with them. Yeah. So anyway, yes, I agree with you. Okay, cool. So where, where can people reach out to you if they want to connect that good stuff? Yeah. Well, LinkedIn is always good. Jason Williams, Diffuser Industries. Uh, you can always go to diffuser.com. Let me spell that for you. D-F-U-Z-R.com. Diffuser.com. That's cool. Uh, or, you know, if you feel so compelled, you can reach out to me directly, Jason, J-A-S-O-N at diffuser.com. Nice. Right. We just get people connected right yeah. to the source, right? Let's you can go connect. through LinkedIn, you just shoot that email off and, uh, and connect right up. Um, mm-hmm. well, man, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us, sharing your wisdom. I'm, I, I definitely had some takeaways around, everything from the API economy to just that, that the contractor success model. Like I, I, there's something there. I don't know if you're going to write a book, but you, 
It would be this. Maybe. You should probably write something about this. Okay, that's good to know. People can definitely use that, you know, advice. There's uh, a, you know, huge notion for and against that. So I think it yeah. would be great. If, okay, you know, that's good. Yeah, man. We might just do that. And for those yeah. listening, you know, if you learn something like I did, like Varun did, then share this with someone else. I've got, I've got a page and I have two pages of notes over here. Share this episode with someone else. LinkedIn's a great platform for that. Be a thought leader. That's how you do it. Share it with like four people, 400 people, whatever. It just, you get your takeaways on, a, on, on paper. And then, you know, on LinkedIn, you tag myself, tag Varun, tag Jason. We start a whole conversation. Suddenly you're, you're an expert. So that is good stuff. Well, Again, man, thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll have to stay in touch. This is good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. Cheers. Okay. And this Cheers. has been Agencies That Build. We will catch yeah. you all next time.